Proopcast takes to the ether here from the salubrious confines of the most challenging and edgy of all of London's artistic endeavors right here underneath uh, the festive streets of Soho at the Soho Theatre, ladies and gentlemen, uh, where you can find people upstairs who have varied histories uh, and meet an incredible array of different people who have uh, uh, a story to tell. Once again, the vodcast takes to the ether. We welcome you if you're listening in vodcast land. If it's the morning, this is a great time to have that first drink because mornings are harsh. You know, there's a super moon. The super moon comes down and then the sun comes up and you're like, oh, fuck. I got to sit up. I got to light up a cigarette. I got to get up. I got to make tea. Jesus, fuck. What the fuck else does the universe want from me today? So it's a groovy time to have one. If you're driving, awesome time to light one up. If you're at the gym, don't waste all your time at the gym. I'm sure there's a deli nearby. <laughs> I'd like that. Uh, so hello, pretty ladies around the world. Uh, it's groovy to be back here. This is our second podcast this week in London, and I- I've had a marvelous time here doing stand-up all week uh, um, to a crowd of people who were ranged from uh, wildly enthusiastic to massively indifferent. It's a... Uh, <laughs> It's awesome when you do stand-up, the people that'll just show up that have never seen you and don't care and are like, what the fuck is this? And sit with their arms folded like they're on some kind of jury or something and then at the end of the show go, yay! And you're like, fuck you, England, for faking me out again. I know you don't want to show emotions. I know you don't want to share or connect. It's hard for you. I get that. This is the country where foreplay is six pints of lager. Um, What you'd really rather do is argue and then eat some crisps later. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, as I say, it's, it's bitching to be back one more time. The summer has begun here uh, in London, and we've had two marvelous days, the first two days of summer here. A very liquidy kind of summer, a rich, redolent, and moist rivulet of summer has poured down upon us here. I don't know if you're reading in the paper on the solstice, or, or what, what do they call the... Is the solstice the first day of summer? Does anyone... Any astronomers here, or... Any, any druids in the crowd here tonight? <laughs> Pity. Uh, everyone gathered at Stonehenge, uh, and they're finally going to move the A303, right? They're going uh, if, to, if, for, for our listeners all around the world, because people are listening in America, and when I say Stonehenge, they're like, wow, I didn't know there was a henge made of stone, man. I have to explain everything to everyone. I don't presume your abject ignorance of the, the topic of Stonehenge, but Stonehenge was built um, some 40 years ago <laughs> by the uh, National Historical Society here in England so that there'd be a place where hippies could go uh, and travelers could stop their vans and and play the recorder briefly. Uh, My wife and I went there years ago in the 90s and there's two, uh, because it's a Neolithic site, right, in the middle of England on the plain, uh, there it is, right? There's a big circle of triptychs of stones and whatnot and then uh, uh, leading down to another area. Um, 
there's two motor there's a motorway that goes right by it it would be like if you went to the Grand Canyon and there was a freeway through the bottom of the Grand Canyon or whatever like that's how much respect they give it and then there's another little A303 road that goes through it and if you've ever driven on an A road to say Kings Lynn you know how agonizing an A road can be because uh, all of a sudden there's a donkey cart or something happens and, and everything goes crazy well not necessarily a donkey cart that's more Ireland than England but the point is this uh, they're going to they're going to put grass over it and whatnot. so I'm, I was reading about uh, everybody gathered at Stonehenge for the solstice and of course it's the usual assortment of people who have festive outfits on and there's lots of girls with flowers in their hair and there's the one fat slaphead git right who's wearing a cloak and has a giant eagle purple tattoo on his face and he was in 16 of the fucking pictures and I thought fuck you this is your day to hog the camera you know it's not so much about the solstice or druidism or the sun rising or the supermoon or anything you just and then of course the first picture is him going like this then the next picture is no, and then the next one's like, eh. and then the fifth one, the shirt's off, and there's just giant male breasts hanging down that are tattooed, and you're like, that is awesome that you've made the effort to tattoo those, because it must have been done some time ago when the earth was still cooling. <laughs> so my wife and I went to Stonehenge years ago. I was on a, a tour here on the island uh, the, to explain where we are to the rest of the world. I'm a, I'm I'm on an island off the coast of Europe, and. <laughs> It's attached to Europe by so many things. Uh, mm, currency? No. Uh, alliances? No. Uh, spying. And, uh, and a giant paradigm of white male oligarchy. That's what it's connected to Europe by. So there we are. Uh, so we go to Stonehenge. and Because uh, uh, I had a gig that night in... Uh, oh, bloody hell, I've just forgotten the town that's next to Stonehenge. Salisbury, right? And uh, someone... Yeah. Thank, thank, thank you for the backup, Starsky. There'll be hugs later. Um, we, we were playing in Salisbury that night and we went to Stonehenge in the daytime and uh, we're standing there if I've, have I told this story before? okay, well, like, like you'd know um, we're, we're at, we're, you know, and there's a little yellow rope that they've got round so that you don't get too close to the triptychus because, and I don't want to spoil anyone's high on this I don't want to harsh anyone's mellow but years ago they dug up Stonehenge and cemented all those pieces of stone in place so they will never fucking fall over. Even though the Druids or whoever built Stonehenge, it had stood for some, what, two or three thousand years before that without the help of modern man's awesome concrete. Uh, so we're standing there outside the little yellow circle and in uh, pulls a, a, a combi van, right? Of course, I'll, I'll explain to our American friends, that would be a VW van with the word groovy painted, misspelled on the side. And two uh, travelers get out, and it's, a, 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 of course, white people with dreadlocks, because that's the international symbol for hey. And hey, got any weed? Uh, fucking no. We brought 10 weeks worth when we left. That was two days ago. We smoked it all before we fucking got here. So uh, a little, uh, a very nice hippie girl and a hippie guy get out and they leap over the little yellow rope and they run up to one of the triptychus and they just stand next to it and vibe, right? Like, uh, right? And you can hear a pink and perfect world explode inside them, right? And, and the resonant chord that plays, the one that's played for the last 2,500 years that connects us with the center of the universe and the ley lines that run across England that make the vibrations of the word, world go as Ian Banks would say, the grid, right? The grid that all the power emanates from. And the guy, I swear to God, reaches into his vestments and pulls out a recorder and starts going, and I'm like, fucking, that's the fool on the hill by the Beatles. And uh, 
overcomes the security guard who, uh, and I don't mean to characterize people and I don't mean to fat shame in any way. She was bulky, okay? Let me, she, was, she had some weight. And she's wearing little shorts and a fucking National Heritage like shirt and goes, stop it, you lot, you can't. And they just go, and the girl's doing the Grateful Dead dance, you know. <laughs> Never mind big box, little box. It was like big asteroid, little asteroid, little nebula, big nebula, you know, like, it's all happening, right? The world's exploding, and there's an arcing jet of stars and whatnot. And she jumps over the, the, the yellow, you know, rope thingy, and it's like, stop, you can't, you're not supposed to, you can't. And they ignore her utterly. And then just stop playing and then run away. And I was like, that is fucking security. <laughs> I am so sick of being strip searched and having my shoes taken off and my picture taken 15 fucking times and showing my ID 18 fucking times to prove that I'm a human that lives on Earth, okay? Uh, it, that's the kind of security I want at airports. I want there to be a little yellow rope and you just jump over it and someone runs after you and goes, oh, no, fuck it, get on your plane. <laughs> Because I'm flying to Amsterdam tomorrow, and uh, no, I'm not, but I will when I get there. And um, exactly, hey, someone goes. Uh, it just reminds me of what's going on right now in the universe. Uh, we uh, th- there's so much uh, revolution going on. As as Bob Dylan once said, uh, what was it? Uh, um, there was music in the cafes at night, and revolution in the When you see everything that's been going on uh, for the last couple of months and you see how afraid the government is of us, it it makes my heart warm. Uh, That's all. It really does. Uh, I mean, you guys had riots here. In the United States, no one's going to riot as long as there's an iPhone within reach, if you know what I'm saying. And speaking of iPhones, we've been watching your conversations the last few weeks from my country. And wow. (laughs) Pep it up. So many Coke deals in bathrooms. For reals, you guys. And the crowd goes quiet. <laughs> Fuck you. This is the one country where every note, or as we call them in the United States, bills, uh, every, every single note of currency has cocaine on it in this country. Well done. How, how did you do that? Did, did you dole them out in different pubs all over the country? Or did, every, did it just a bunch of cokey people go like, fucking, let's get a stack of bills and just go? Mm. Uh, I'll laugh at my own jokes. I really have no problem picking up the slack. I want to thank everyone for the presents they've given me. I, I received so many presents while I'm here in London, and all y'all are so nice. Um, I got, uh, there's a roller derby uh, woman here tonight. and uh, Tell me your roller derby name again. Rebel Rebel. Rebel Rebel. Oh, fuck yeah. Because last week, you may recall, well, you haven't heard the show yet, because it hasn't gone out yet, but it goes out tomorrow. But when you do hear it, you'll recall. Uh, you'll presciently recall, in a forward-thinking, clairvoyant way, um, that we, I went to see the David Bowie exhibit last week, and it was really groovy. And, uh, of course, they didn't play Rebel Rebel enough. They were playing Gene Genie way more than Rebel Rebel. Uh, and she's a roller derby queen, and she plays for a team called the London Rock and Rollers. And as you can see here, there's what we would call uh, brass knuckles. I think you would call them knuckle dusters, would it be? Knuckle dusters, and, uh, and there's a, a, a fierce lady there with uh, knee pads on, and it says, rolling with the punches. Let me ask you something, Rebel, Rebel, if that is both your names. Uh, you don't wear knuckle dusters when you're out there. It's not like the movie Rollerball or anything, is it? Wrist guards. Wrist guards. Pity. 
couldn't you wear spiked helmets like the movie with James Caan and shit like that and, and, and actual spikes on your gloves and stuff and then when you play Tokyo there's a big fracas and, and Moondog gets punched and everybody goes oh my god and he falls to the, the, the fucking uh, rink and his head hits the thing and then James Caan's super furious and then the next game they go we, there's no rules in the next game and shit like that has anyone ever seen the movie Rollerball does anyone have any idea what I'm talking about here tonight in the 70s, uh, it was a sci-fi movie, and it was called Rollerball. And it combined roller derby with sort of, I don't know, ice hockey and death. And uh, the whole world, here's the plot. The whole world's run by corporations. So you'll, you'll yes, if you see it, you'll be like, oh, it's like now. Um, and then there's these global video casts. That would be the difference. That's what they got wrong in the 70s. They didn't realize we're going to walk around with little fucking tablets all the time or, or little phones. Uh, and they show rollerball every week and, and guys just skate around and then sometimes pull each other's helmets off and they wear spiked gloves and punch each other in the head and stuff and people die and there's motorcycles and whatnot. And you're supposed to fall in love with our hero, Jonathan E., who tries to find out about the history of the world. And when he goes to Geneva, where the main supercomputer's kept, that now, in this 70s version of the future, the computer doesn't even have chips anymore or any electronics uh, at all. It's liquid. The, the, right. Information is kept in a liquid vat, right? And he goes in, and John Gielgud is the keeper of the liquid vat of information. And so John Gielgud, I can't do John Gielgud, but if I could, it would be good. Uh, <laughs> oh, the famous Jonathan E. I've been watching on television. Sorry, I'm doing it. I'll just do Ronald Coleman from another decade. That'll make it a... Oh, Jonathan E. is here. Oh, very good. Uh... And uh, he, he hits the computer and he goes, the computer seems to have lost the 13th century. <laughs> well, nothing much, just Dante and some corrupt popes. And so you're able to ask the computer question and Jonathan goes, what was it like before the world was owned by corporations? And the computer goes, rephrase the question. And he goes, what was the world like before the, everything was run by corporations? And the computer goes, mm -mm. So it was really like asking the government what's going on. Uh, they were very prescient in that regard. People go out and they shoot trees and whatnot. Uh, is there a point to this story? Yes. Uh, when they score a goal, they have to throw it in this giant magnetic hole, right? And they play a game in Tokyo, and uh, Jonathan scores a goal, right? And the, the ball is a giant shot put that's shot from a cannon that rolls around the rink, right? And then they go and they pick it up. So you hear, mm, 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 and here it comes, and they're all skating like that, right? And then the guy reaches down and picks it up, and then Jonathan just got to hold the ball in the fucking air. And then when Jonathan scores the goal against Tokyo, he fucking throws it in the goal, and the whole Tokyo crowd presses upright, and he goes, fuck you, and hits the glass and shit. And that was my favorite moment in the movie. Um, it's not funny. <laughs> At the end of the movie, uh, there's, they, they keep suspending more rules as the game goes on to make the game more violent. And basically so they can kill Jonathan because there are no individual heroes in the future. There's only the giant corporate. The, when they play, uh, he plays for Houston. Uh, but there's many teams. There's the Barcelona team, the New York team, the Tokyo team. Uh, at the beginning of the uh, first match, they go, from Houston, the energy city. Because there's like six corporations. One controls food. One controls energy. And, of course, that's where they got it wrong. There's actually just one corporation now. And the crowd goes quiet again. Okay, well, <laughs> we're going to go slow tonight. And uh, then we'll... Uh, but let's get to some commercials, shall we? Since it seems to be going so well. Um, I'm joking, of course. Uh, I, I have one ad that I'm going to read here tonight. Uh, Paolo, will you play some groovy music of some kind? Maybe something off the pre-show? I don't know. Or do you, can you find Rebel Rebel? If you could play Rebel Rebel, then, then we would have that awesome tie-in between the roller derby, the...
Well, it's, it's in the spirit of Rebel Rebel. I believe you'll find this is Atomic Dog by George Clinton. Now, have I told this story before on the show? Several years ago, I was at a music award show, and George Clinton pitched up, right? I was working at the Grammys with Joan Rivers and her daughter, Melissa, right? Well, they gave me the shitty post down the way. Uh, Joan and... I think I have told this. How about? Joan, Joan and Melissa are down at the end, and this is like five years ago, so they're getting like... Uh, it was uh, who then, you know... Uh, the, uh, Mariah Carey, whatnot, J-Lo. And I'm down the, uh, where I am, they put me. I got Lynn Redgrave, Enya. Fucking A. Enya. And she's wee, right? Enya's really small and absolutely gorgeous and perfectly formed. Uh, she has alabaster skin and dark black Irish hair and she had little, like, bright nails. And, sit, and, I, and I said to her, how come you never tour? And she's like, because... Anya and Chardet have the perfect career. They make a record every five years. It's the same as the record they made five years before. And a million people 50 years old fucking buy the CD of it. Uh, so uh, up pitches Cedric the Entertainer, who's an American comedian. And uh, he's got George Clinton with him from this song, uh, Atomic Dog. Here, crank this up a little. Oh, now you're playing Rebel Rebel. Okay. It's all gone exactly as I designed it tonight. You may get the idea that this is unrehearsed. That's not true. This has all been cleverly crafted. Well, now he's playing Rebel Rebel, but George Clinton came up, and George Clinton was wearing a, a, a leather, uh, like, sheep herder hat and this enormous shearling jacket and a sweater where clearly he had dropped something awful down the front of it, like a, a piroshki. I think I told this in Chicago. Anyways, I says to him, uh, 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 there was a, a story where they'd sent a, a GQ reporter out, and the GQ reporter had... Um, uh, interviewed George Clinton over the course of a couple of days. Now, you know who George Clinton is, right? He, he invented P-Funk and all that, right? Funkadelic Parliament, Maggot Brain, Dr. Frankenstein. Okay, so, uh, he's wearing psychedelic tennis shoes with multicolored fucking strands. He has dreadlocks in a billion different colors. And when people, were I said, George, hey, what's up? And he's like, uh, effervescent uh, waterfalls flow as the sheep uh, jump to and fro between the crevasse that gathers us between the universe and all of those who would perpetrate panoplias on us. <laughs> and I'd read an article in GQ where the guy had interviewed him for three days, and all he did was smoke coke for three days in front of this guy, <laughs> including going to, like, Conan O'Brien's talk show, and in the dressing room, he's fucking smoking rock and shit like that. And the, the white reporter the whole time's like, can you smoke coke everywhere? And George Clinton's like, hey, honey. And uh, so I go to George Clinton, and he's in the middle of one of his things, you know. Uh, Penubrious pendacity comes down. Uh, the brilliant, violent uh, rainbows uh, reflect in the opalescent pool of our mind. And I go, I was reading an article about you. Was that in GQ or Esquire? And he goes, GQ. And <laughs> so we've all got a shtick. So, Rebel Rebel, I'm going to read this ad here. This is for another, uh, these are some mates of mine. They invited me to go on this. It's an Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival. The Smartest Man promo spot. Coming this September, it's the Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival. Um, I don't know how they decided to garner the entire Atlantic Ocean to themselves for a music festival. I don't know if the Pope laid down an edict like he did in the 1490s where there's a line of demarcation and Portugal got Brazil and Spain got the rest of the New World or whatever. Uh, September 13th, I would think the Atlantic Ocean is open for anyone's podcast. What I would do if I were you was take a small vessel out from England uh, and, and compete with them. <laughs> Get a couple of buskers with you. There's plenty of people up here on the street playing flutes and shit uh, and drums. Uh, at the tube stop near where I'm staying, there's a guy playing the most annoying kungas I've ever fucking heard. Really fucking loud at the end of the day when you don't want to hear kungas at all. 
At the end of the day, when you get the tube home, you want to hear like, wom, 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 you know, you want to hear what the salamanders listen to. And this guy's playing, bam, badam, boom, badam, badam, boom, bam, badam. You're like, fuck, 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 fuck. Stop it, stop it, stop it. I was about to take some mushrooms and cool the fuck down. Because uh, I, I know the last episode of The Voice is on or whatever. Um, September 13th, so get your own small vessel or build one if you can. Or just hook a bunch of crates together and see what happens. And uh, take some comedians and musicians out with you at the same date as this one in September. September 13th through 16th. Fuck, that's three days on the Atlantic. All right, just go out for one of the days. I don't want anyone to get hurt because I, in, I invoked you to go out. And then you're like, I made a crate and my, my friend drowned and shit on the second day. <laughs> and then a grouper popped up and spit out his banjo. <laughs> You'll enjoy two nights of great comedy. Wait a minute, the cruise is four nights. What the fuck's happening on the other nights? You'll enjoy two nights of great comedy and two nights of mediocre bullshit that you'll sit through painfully, yawning the whole time wishing you could be at the buffet. You'll... We had that one last week. You'll enjoy two nights of great comedy featuring Mark Maron. Uh, and if anyone listens to Mark Maron's show, he's a marvelous podcaster. Uh, Eugene Merman, Josie Long, Jonah Ray. Nick Thane, John Hodgman. John Hodgman has a show called uh, Judge John Hodgman. That's a, a, a mad podcast. Scott Simpson, Cameron Esposito, Rhea Butcher, Jasper Red, Kristen Schaal, and Kurt... I'm going to pronounce his name right this week. Braunholer. Last week I called him Kurt Braunholer. <laughs> That's an entirely different thing here in Soho and costs extra. There's also one night of amazing musical performances. The other three nights, not that amazing. You just sit and go, it was okay. The one night that you're going to go, fuck, I can't believe this. This is amazing. Is amazing the most overused word in the history of amazement? I mean, think about it. Every Hollywood star, when they're interviewed, like if they interview whatever, uh, the cast of the Bling Ring or whatever, they're going to ask Selena Gomez, what was it like making the movie with Sofia Coppola? And she's going to go, it was fucking amazing. Like, I guess all stars are given one adjective when they leave the studio. And that's how they have to describe everything. When was the last time you were genuinely amazed? Like, looked at something and went... <gasps> like in an anime film. <laughs> amazing is hard. Even Stonehenge isn't amazing. When you're there, you're like, this is cool. You don't go like, oh my God! <gasps> I mean, if you see the Aurora Borealis or something like that, that might be amazing. Or if you see, like, a goat talk to you. If you're taking a hike and a sheep turns and goes, Oi, this is my field. That would be fucking amazing. Then you think to yourself, I took a lot of sassafras. I should cool down. Uh, there's one night of amazing musical performances by John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats. Oh, my God. And then there's goats right there. So there'll be singing mountain goats on this cruise. Maybe you will be amazed. John Roderick of the Long Winters. And in England, you should know better than anyone else because you haven't had a summer in three fucking years. <laughs> Nellie Mackay, who you have to see, she's kooky most, and Dan Deacon. The ship leaves from Miami and you'll get to spend two days in the Bahamas. One day in Nassau. Think you can find funky Nassau? No, I don't think you can either, Paolo. Uh, and one day on a private island. Whoa, with the B-52s, one presumes. That would be a private Idaho, Greg. <laughs> On the ground like a wild potato. There'll be other fun activities too. That's a scary sentence. 
Have you ever gone to someone's? All right, I was doing a corporate gig years ago, and it was in out in the desert in Palm Desert and uh, uh, outside of Los Angeles. And it was a bunch of, I don't know, it was like advertising people, golf types. They'd gone out there and they were golfing and they were real corporate drones and shit. They were lovely people. They paid me a lot of money. But the point is this. Uh, 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 do, does anyone here remember a TV show called The Mod Squad? Yeah, okay, well, two people. I'm going to tell the story anyway. The Mod Squad was a, a 60s, late 60s, early 70s TV show that was put on in America when they thought that kids needed to be hip to the cop format. This is before Kojak and Starsky and Hutch and all that. It was the, the glory era of 70s cop shows that Simon Pegg has so uh, you know, gloriously uh, uh, evoked. And they thought, let's have teenage cops. That'll be the gig on this show. These three kids get in trouble. They all get busted for drugs. And rather than go to jail... Thank you, Funky Nassau. Turn this one up a little bit. Nassau's gone so. The end of the beginning. Yes, they're called the end of the beginning. We've got a dive on beat now. We're gonna call it that, right? Mini skirts and maxi skirts. What year's this song, Greg? Oh, from when you were young. Uh, no one's worn a maxi skirt in years, or no one's called it a maxi skirt. Uh, one day in Nassau, and spent two days in the Bahamas. One day in Nassau, and one more time. Oh, we already had that part. Uh, you, uh, you go to someone's house. So I'm doing this corporate gig, and uh, the Mod Squad was this show where at the beginning of the show they would run down an alley, and it was great. The, the theme song of the show went bum 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 bum. Right, it was super 70s, and the three teenagers would run down the alley, and that was the credit sequence. And so, first Michael Cole as Pete would come down the alley. And then the black guy, Lincoln Hayes. Lincoln Hayes. Lincoln Hayes. And when, he would, when someone would address him and get his name wrong, he'd rip, it was Clarence Williams III, the awesome actor, and he'd go, the name is Lincoln. Yeah, this was the good old days. And then Peggy Lipton was the last character, and she was the sexy one. And because she was a girl, and it was those days, she, she couldn't make it all the way down the alley. She had to rest up against a pole for her freeze frame. And it would go Peggy Lipton. Uh, and I don't remember, what was her name? Jennifer, what was Peggy Lipton's name in the... Julie. 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 P- Pete, Link, and Julie. And uh, so I'm at this corporate gig. And before we get going, one of these dudes walks over to me, and he's got the silver temples and the fucking steel room glasses and the, the purple golf sweater and the, the shirt sticking out and shit, and he's got a logo and whatnot, and he goes, you're going to like us. We're a fun group. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. I just saw a giant eclipse of my soul happen. <laughs> the minute he said fun group, I thought, oh, no, you're speaking backwards, fucking Mr., you know... Uh, bizarro world talk where whatever they say it's exactly the opposite if someone tells you they're fun they're not fun because if they were fun they'd be fun and they wouldn't tell you they were fun it's like going uh oh it's just horrible so i do the show and i die on my arse and uh i got a couple laughs you know at one point someone went huh and um i finished the show and i'm standing there and michael cole from the mod squad who played pete comes up to me and goes hi my name's Michael Cole. I played Pete on the Mod Squad. And I thought you were fucking hilarious. And I was like, thank you, Michael Cole, who played Pete on the Mod Squad. Very much for that. You've lifted my ego. And this is my tip to you if you're a celebrity and you wish to meet me. 
and I don't know who you are. Announce what show you were on, and then tell me your character name as well. And then pay me an unbridled compliment. Let's have no qualifiers. Like, you were okay. Or, I got most of it. My favorite thing that people say in America, because America's the land of qualifiers, is, you were pretty funny. And I was like, oh, you're a pretty good audience. You almost got all the jokes. Um, so, uh, let's see. There'll be fun activities, too, hyphen. A shuffleboard tournament. Get the fuck out of town and change your major. A shuffleboard tournament. This is going to be awesome. Do, do I have to have a Zimmer frame and dentures to play this in a blue rinse? Fuck me. A shovelboard tournament? Where do I sign up for this? Holy cow. I thought we were going to smoke dope in the Bahamas and get drunk all day and then shag wildly on the deck while the guy went, no, you can't shag on the deck. No, there's going to be a shuffleboard tournament for reals with Mark Marin. That's going to be a fucking off the hook. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, a cocktail party. Cocktail parties. Oh, it's spelled wrong. I had to correct it last week. And more, exclamation point. Or let me read the sentence the way it's written grammatically. There will be other fun activities, comma, two. There doesn't need to be a comma there. <laughs> let me just correct that. It should be, there will be other fun activities, two, hyphen, a shovelboard tournament, comma, cocktail parties, and more. <laughs> To find out more about the Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival, check out Boat Party... Da How do you say it here? Do you say dash or hyphen? Hyphen. Well, I'll do it for America, then I'll do it for you. To find out more about the Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival, check out Boat Party dash dot dot biz. And then I'll do it in English. To find out more about the Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival, check out Boat Party hyphen... Oh, fuck it. <laughs> It's probably shit. Probably costs too much. Can't fucking go. I'm gonna stay home, you know. Fucking have some points. Well, hang on a second. The Chinese just arrived. <laughs> no, I want it egg rolls. There's no fucking egg rolls in this. Hey, fuck off, then. I gave him. I gave him a couple quid. To find out more about. Oh, we already had that. And we've got a great deal just for you, listeners. Colon. Should that be a semicolon? No, just a colon, I think, there. And, comma, never start a sentence with and. Let's just go to, to this part. <laughs> We've got a great deal for you listeners, colon. If you go to boat party hyphen dot hyphen biz hyphen slash hyphen smartest. Sweet fucking Maria, I'm confused. This is a semantic minefield. This is worse than playing Scrabble with fucking people from another universe and shit. Boat party hyphen dot hyphen biz hyphen slash hyphen smartest. You can get $50 off per ticket. Per ticket! Exclamation point. Book, book now! <laughs> if it was English, book now to avoid disappointment. <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival comedy, comma, music, period, shuffleboard, period. I'll read it in English. The Atlantic Ocean Comedy and Music Festival colon, comedy, full stop, music, full stop, shuffleboard. Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> so visit that. Uh, we'll also be going all around the world, and I, I, I. Uh, we're in Amsterdam uh, this Thursday. You won't hear, it'll be too late for that one, and it'll be too late for our Norway gig. We're in Oslo. Oslo? Oslo. Oslo. We're in Norway. Uh, <laughs> we're in Scandinavia. Uh -uh. 
Uh, and, you know, it, I'm looking forward to it more than anything. But as you know, uh, and I'm sure you're aware, and I'm, I don't mean to flatter you or blow, well, as we say in America, blow smoke up your ass. <laughs> Which would be, why do people say that when they're flattering you? I, I, if you're going to flatter me, my name is Michael Cole. I played Pete on the Odd Squad. I think you're fucking hilarious. That's how you flatter me. Don't walk up to me and get behind me and go, what are you doing? I'm blowing smoke up your ass. You're, you're making me into a Prupian chimney, and I don't want that. I don't want to be a chimney. Please don't put your lips near my butt unless you mean it. Nassau got funky. Nassau got soul. Um, not to be confused with the funky Broadway. Uh, we'll be uh, England, Ireland, uh, um, Whale Land, and Scottish Land. Uh, and Northern Irish land are uh, uh, places of great humor. People have a sense of humor. They have a sense of sarcasm. They have a sense of irony and shit. I remember years ago, I was in um, Scottish land, and um, I was doing a TV show. I used to be on TV. And um, the, uh, we remember that, Greg. What was it like then? Well, they'd bring out a big Soviet camera and take a thing like this, and they'd go, action! And then a, a bulb would go like that and the, now the camera turns to the world of entertainment here's Greg Proops <laughs> what is this newfangled thing uh yeah so uh the uh, the <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, they have a, a sense of irony, right? So I was in Scotland and uh, 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 we were doing a TV show, I think about the differences between Glasgow and Edinburgh, um, which are myriad, as you know. First of all, Glasgow's huge, Edinburgh sort of huge. And uh, Gla- uh, Edinburgh has a castle and a rock and uh, all sorts of historical things. And Glasgow has um, people who will headbutt you while carrying a bag of lager. And then throw a milkshake against the wall As discussed previously on the Glasgow episode The only place in the world Every time I do a gig A milkshake is thrown against the wall In front of the gig How angry do you have to be To be furious at ice cream So I, uh, this, was, this is how long ago it was. It'll, it'll hip you. You might remember this, as opposed to my Mod Squad stories and everything else that happened in the 40s um, when I was young. There was an, a new Annie Lennox video, and I think it was Walking on Broken Glass. And I think she's acting like a maniac in it, and then she crawls across the floor and shit like that. And I go, oh, that Annie Lennox, she's got a new video where she plays a crazy person. And one of the Scottish guy goes, yeah, I for a change. And... Um, <laughs> That's what I mean. So uh, they're funny. You go to you go to Holland and you're like, uh, you know, and the, and the Dutch are lovely people. They're they're awesome. So are the Norwegians. Uh, um, they're they're uh, they're lovable. They're amenable. They're handy. They're helpful. Uh, you know, during World War II, look how helpful they were. Uh, you know, an invading army came in and they're like, the Jews are over there. So I'm joking, of course. I'm joking, of course. It was the police in Holland mostly. Uh, in any case, uh, they. <laughs> Really? You're going to be that fucking sensitive about it? <laughs> oh, kittens, you've fallen over. Yeah, because the taste level of the show has gone out to the middle of the Atlantic with the comedy festival. <laughs> it's about as funny as a shuffleboard tournament right now. Kittens, cool it. Seriously, you drunk pussy, sit your shit down for a minute and cool it. 
I want the crowd to like the show and remember that they came. They all paid 15 quid to get in here. That's two weeks' wages. All right, all right. Stop it. Stop it. May I have another vodka-flavored vodka drink if anyone's uh, speaking? Someone will get it. You don't have to leap up. Thank you. Uh, Monaco, I think, will bring it to me. Uh, And... uh, uh, you know, you go to Holland, and, and, and obviously English is their second language. I mean, you know, fair enough. I'm performing in English. I, I can't perform in Dutch because I don't speak Klingon. So it's difficult because, you know, Dutch is like, you go, ah, you have not treated me with honor. And then you have to wrestle a girl to the ground and mate with them. Uh, that's how Holland is. It's great. And there's bicycles everywhere, so it's like the Wizard of Oz all the fucking time, you know. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Cheers. I'll just go get this myself, shall I? Uh, 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 but the, because of that, the sarcasm level is a little low, right? I mean, I, I, I remember doing stand-up in Amsterdam, and I was unbelievably high. Um, I was with Simon Bly, if anyone... Simon Bly's a marvelous comic, and a a Dutch comic, who, I'm not kidding, sang a song to his computer, and the place fucking came to pieces. And and this will give you an idea how long ago it was. It was a giant-ass apple that was this fucking big that you, like, poured water in the top of, right? It was just, you know, you had to put oats in it. That's how long ago this was. And uh, uh, we went, and between shows, we went next door. My friend Lee Simpson from the Comedy Store Players uh, uh, was teaching an improv class... In, in Amsterdam so we went to his flat which happened to be next door to the comedy club and smoked a joint the size of Usain Bolt's thigh and and roughly the same texture and I was not just high I was fucking hibbity 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 ripping pipping peeping piping fucking zoom tastic groove chicken fucking astro boy you know right so I go to Lee uh, hey let's do improv you and me will get on stage and Lee goes I can't I haven't done that you know he just fucking abrogated himself completely I'm too I'm gonna sit in the alright alright have a fucking lion bar and cool out so I get up on stage and I'm like uh, I went to the Rick's Museum where'd Rick get all that stuff Uh, oh yeah that's how fucking high I was I'm staying I'm staying near the smoke and dope and grok near the dog shit spline how about you people I went I went I went to see the Dutch Hall of Fame today. To your right, Rutger Hauer. To your left, Rutger Hauer. To your right, Rutger Hauer. To your left, Rutger Hauer. To your right, Jerome Crobet. And the crowd just, boo, you know. Well, they were Dutch, so they, ooh la loo, la loo, la loo, whatever, you know. Ah, ah, ah. But you can't use sarcasm, right? Like, you'll walk up to a place in Holland and go, like, got any French fries? And they're like, oh, yes, we have many French fries. I'm like, oh. As being a dick, I know you have French fries. You are not a dick, you are a person. You are. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, we, I, I will go to the Rembrandt house. I've been there. I'll go to the Van Gogh Museum, but I'm never going to Anne Frank's house. I never want to be high in Anne Frank's house. There's nothing funny about it. It's not amusing. I don't want to go there. I, I can't believe people that go to concentration camps for vacations. Like, you've got to be fucking joking me. And I remember a friend of mine said years ago that he, he grew up in Belfast and the nuns took them to Dachau for a fucking holiday. And you're like, that is the worst fucking... At least there wasn't shuffleboard. Here's the deal. We'll be back in Los Angeles on July 3rd, which is the day before we gained our independence from you fucking unbelievable repressive monarchical people who... That's right, we had to have our own revolution against you. Uh, why did they call it the revolution? Because we're still going round and round like idiots. Uh... 
And then on the 9th of uh, July, we'll be back at Bar Lubitsch. Again, those are free shows. So if you want to fly to Los Angeles, you can see the show for free and save that 15 quid. <laughs> Americans are like, what's a quid? It would be a pound. What's a pound? It's money that's not connected to Europe. Uh, <laughs> what's Europe? It's a big city, and it's right near England. <laughs> On the 18th of July, we'll be at the Punchline in San Francisco, my beloved hometown, uh, on the, and also be doing stand-up there that week. On the 25th of uh, July, we'll be in Galway uh, at the, how do you pronounce it, R-O-I-S? Roaching Dub. Dub. We'll be at the Roaching Dub in Galway. We also might be adding a show on the 27th in Dublin. On, on July 27th, we might be in Dublin that night. We're sorting that out right now. I'm hoping to do it. That one will be free. Uh, the 31st of July through the 15th of uh, August will be in Edinburgh uh, at the fabulous uh, Edinburgh French... Well, I'll be at the Classical Festival. I'm performing my dance. Uh, <laughs> it's called Afternoon of a Proop, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, it's based on some of Mussorgsky's early work. Uh, I'm doing a lot of Jerome Robbins choreography in this one. It's a combination of West Side Story, Rent, and Starlight Express. Uh, <laughs> and Le Mis mixed with some Tim Minchin. I think I'm really going to cover the fucking waterfront on this one. There's a lot of gyrating... Uh, I, at one point I pretend to be a herring re returning to my uh, the, the land that I came from to spawn um, you, you, and then later on in the show I, 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 I lead a small uh, uh, conga line out to the parking lot and we bake uh, three, three podcasts there three podcasts uh, uh, Hootman three uh, the, the 3rd, the 10th, and the 15th of August, and then uh, the 9th of September, we'll be in New Orleans at the Howlin' Wolf, which I'm really looking forward to. I've been to New Orleans in ages. And the 11th of uh, November, uh, as we call it here, 11-9, as we call it in America, 9-11, uh, the day that changed everything from the day... W w what 9-11 did was change the amount of bullshit we'd accept from the government from some to infinite. That's what 9-11 did. Uh, we'll be in Denver, Danvier, and um, we'll be doing stand-up that week. We also have power sheets. If you want to write me, uh, it's smartestoutofspecialthing.com. If you want to write me personally, fanmail4greg at gmail.com. I know I haven't answered you, but I'm going to. Uh, if you want to ask a question on the show, smartestoutofspecialthing.com. If you go to gregproofs.com, you can buy a power sheath. What's a power sheath, Greg? Well, let me explain. A lot of people would call it a T-shirt, but I think you'll find what this is is something you can envelop yourself in. And once you've put this on, it's a cloak that creates an incredible power shield around you. All of a sudden, all the electrons in the universe begin to vibrate. And what happens is this, like an oscillating cosine. Um, you are attractive to everyone that wants to get with you and inside you. And anyone you want to repel away from you, this power shield performs that function. I have a male large one here, and I'd like to give it away. Uh, oh, extra large, in fact. Well, it's probably large. They run a little small. Sorry. The dudes who do the uh, uh, T-shirts are manorexic. So they, yeah, we order the T-shirts, and then I get, a, uh, the first thing I get is a tweet from a girl that was like, this is a large? I thought you were a feminist. Um, I have a, a female, a female. I it says female on the label. Uh, I, I'm not, I have a female large here. We're here in London looking for a female large. There goes a male extra large. Clearly an Arsenal supporter. I have a large female here.
I don't know how much they cost. I think they're 15 or 20, but if you go on the site, and yes, they will ship to England. They will ship to England with you. It comes with this festive little thing, and it comes with a postcard, and it's, oh my God, it's just amazing. Uh, that's enough advertising. We should probably start this show. Uh, another very nice gentleman tonight gave me this book by David Niven called The Moon's a Balloon. We've talked about it before on the show. David Niven wrote several books uh, in the 70s. Uh, when he decided that, someone said to him, you should put all your anecdotes down. And David Niven not only told his own anecdotes, he told everyone else's anecdotes as well and put them in the book too. Uh, and David Niven, as you know, well, as you don't know, because everything I've mentioned that happened before 1994 here appears to be through a gauzy haze. <laughs> Oh, look, there's the intro. David Niven was one of Britain's best-known actors and in later years a best-selling author. Uh, first published in 1971, it sold over 5 million copies. Often remembered for playing the archetypal English gentleman, he made 90 films. Sweet Maria. Uh, during a career that stretched over 40 years. Uh, separate Tables, I think he got the Oscar for. He also, uh, he's in a lot of, he's in an Ernst Lubitsch movie, and we play at Bar Lubitsch in Hollywood, and that was where the line came from that we always say on the show. Um... Lubitsch was directing David Niven. I think it's even in this book. If I, I would have been clever if I'd found it, but I just got the book before the show and I haven't read it in 30 years. Um, he's doing a scene in Bluebeard's Eighth Wife where um, David Niven plays a nitwit. And uh, he's an assistant in the movie. And uh, he does the scene. And Lubitsch, who is a genius director, right? Uh, an immigrant from Hung uh, Hungary? Was he Hungarian, Nick? Lubitsch? German, Hungarian. Uh, he, uh, Austrian. Austrian. Was he? Yeah. Like Billy Wilder? Uh, he's so funny. He's an Austrian Jew. And Lubitsch movies are really heartwarming. The Shop Around the Corner, uh, Bluebeard's Eighth Wife, a, a lot of hilarious... Um, uh, uh, who's the, you know, uh, gals, gals, and every little breeze. Who's that actor? Who was it? Marie Chevalier. There's hilarious Marie Chevalier comedies by Lubitsch. Um, Niven's doing the scene, and they do the scene, and Lubitsch doesn't say anything. He just goes... Mm. And Niven couldn't be more excited to be working with him because he's a comedy genius. And he's like, Mr. Lubitsch, what do you want me to do? And Lubitsch goes, do it, do it again. Lubitsch does it again, and he does it again. David, like, what do you want me to do, Mr. Lubitsch? And Lubitsch goes, do it again, but do it better. <laughs> the best directing of all time. So here's a story uh, from the book that I happen to find. Um, what, what's the beginning here, say? Went to Hollywood, Prisoner of Zenda... One of his pre-war films, best known as probably The Prisoner of Zenda, when the war broke out, Niven, this is the impressive part of Niven, uh, returned to England and rejoined the army, this time in the Rifle Brigade. He was a commando uh, during World War II. Um, he was in the Highland Light Infantry when he was uh, young. Uh, Niven was widowed after the tragic death of his first wife, Primmy, who was killed in the Blitz, for fuck's sake. Over the next 20 years, he went on to make some of the best films, including Separate Tables, Around the World in 80 Days, Casino Royale, the original Casino Royale, which has nothing to do with the fucking <laughs> new Casino Royale. The new Casino Royale is action-packed, and there's, you know, his girlfriend dies. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> the Casino Royale from the 60s has Woody Allen, Peter Sellers... David Niven and they all play James Bond and it is off the deep end freaky and disconnected and ha makes no sense whatsoever it's a great movie uh, The Guns of Navarone which is really good where they attack a Nazi stronghold in Greece and shit and it's got Anthony Quinn and whatnot um, and Gregory Peck we've got to kill some Nazis you go and lay the charges you know? uh, please yeah. I'll read the rest of it as Gregory Peck I think it'll make it funner Please don't eat the daisies and death on the Nile. A natural storyteller, he published his first novel. Well, he did? 
I didn't know he had a novel. Round the Rugged Rocks in 51, in his two volumes, Moon's a Balloon, Bring on the Empty Horses. His last book, Go Slowly, Come Back Quickly, was published in 81, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, he's making a movie with Michael Curtiz. Michael Curtiz was a Hungarian director, and you'll know Michael Curtiz, because Michael Curtiz directed Casablanca, which, in my opinion, is the most entertaining and fabulous of all the Hollywood movies, because it clips right along, it's got everything, it's got, uh, Rick, Rick, you despise me, don't you? <laughs> I suppose if I gave it any thought, I would. That's precisely why I trust you. Rick, Rick, you've got to hide me! I stick my neck out for nobody. Uh, he directed that, and he directed uh, a, a bazillion other movies. In, I want to say, no, that's Victor Fleming. Um, in any case, uh, he made uh, Charge of the Light Brigade, and Errol Flynn's in Charge of the Light Brigade. Now, we have stars now, and we have Reese Witherspoon, and she sasses off to the cops. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, we have Ryan Gosling, and he worked in the sandwich shop. And uh, we have Brad Pitt, and he's saving the world, and he has to hold AIDS babies and shit because he married Angelina and whatnot. We, we have stars now. And then we have the older stars. We have Jack Nicholson, who, like, you know, beat cars to death with a golf club and did all the coke in the world and stuff like that. But we don't have stars like they had then. Errol Flynn was the most swashbuckling, cokiest, drinkiest, rapiest fucking star that ever fucking lived. He had sex with underage girls all the fucking time, and there's hilarious stories about it in this book. Uh, yeah, you have to put your mind on, uh, on a different era. Mm. I don't know how old Errol Flynn was when he died, but it was quite young, and he looked like he was a thousand years old. Um, they, they have the Cannes Festival every year. People in Cannes who are old enough still talk about when Errol Flynn was at the Cannes Festival. He died in, like, 1957. That's how awesome his parties were. They went for three days, and there was girls falling off balconies and shit like that onto people's erect members. So I'm going to do anything I can to get a laugh out of you fucking people. I think you found that. So he's in Charge of the Light Brigade and Errol Flynn, which, by the way, they've reset it. If you know anything about the Charge of the Light Brigade, it took place during the Crimean War on the Crimean Peninsula, which comes down over Odessa, right, which is in the, the what is it, the Black Sea there? And, and, and it was a war between, uh, uh, like all wars, a war that made no sense whatsoever. It was like uh, Russia invaded Turkey, so England and France invaded Russia. Exactly. And uh, believe me, it'll happen again. Um, there's a really wild version of it from uh, the 60s uh, by Tony Richardson, which is the realistic version. And, and people are throwing up in it, and they show the harsh, uh, they show flogging and shit like that in the British Army. Uh, and it's no fun at all. The version from the 30s, the Charge of the Light Brigade takes place in India? <laughs> Just because it seemed better? I don't know. Uh, and uh, in any case, Errol Flynn and Niven were in it. And uh, Niven had to audition for the part because he wasn't quite a huge star yet. Uh, then I was sent by a four by Warner Brothers where Michael Curtiz was testing actors for Charge of the Light Brigade. Errol Flynn was the star, his second picture. His first had been a smash hit, Captain Blood. Now he was the big white hope of the studio. There's a phrase you don't hear much anymore. <laughs> Curtiz had a reputation, for, unless you're Paula Dean. Curtis had a reputation for eating actors for breakfast, an ex-cavalry officer and very Prussian in his approach to subordinates. He was a daunting sight when I reported for work, outfitted in riding boots and breeches and carrying a fly whisk. That's the director of the movie. You know, guess what? He wasn't wearing a fucking baseball cap with gold braids on it and going, all right, kids, let's get this. There was none of that Ron Howard Spielbergian bullshit. He was wearing fucking breeches and had a fly whisk. And when you walked onto the set, he was like, where are you, asshole? That's when directors were cool. 
If I was a director, I would dress exactly like that. I'd have a jodhpur and a swagger stick, and I'd wear a monocle, and everyone would call me uh, hair proops. I was testing for the role of Flynn's friend destined for a sticky end in the charge. The whole scenario was a loose adaptation of the true story, and the charge itself took place in the northwest frontier of India. But no matter... Those were the days when Hollywood was reshaping British history to conform to budgets and available locations. Quite right. Uh, I was to play the, the test scene with Olivia de Havilland, so I realized with dismay there were a dozen other hopeful actors dressed in the same uniform as myself, all standing around, and a refinement of sadism allowed to watch each other perform. So he's auditioning for Michael Curtiz in a scene with Olivia de Havilland, who's still alive, by the way. She's in Paris. Um, thank you. By the time that scene had been played half a dozen times and the six actors curtly dismissed by Curtiz, everything I'd hoped to do had already been done, right? When you're an actor and you're waiting to audition, uh, you think, oh, I'll do the funny part. Oh, I'll laugh. Oh, I'll cry. Oh, I'll feel sorry. Oh, I'll be sad. And then, like, you go, fuck, I'm out of emotions. And when you watch six guys go ahead of you, you're like, fuck, they've done everything. What am I going to do? My mind was a blank when Curtiz with a heavy accent called out, next man. That's my version of his heavy accent. I was led out of the shadows by an assistant, introduced to Miss de Havilland and Curtis. She smiled a tired, resigned smile. I'd like to imp- uh, do my impression of Olivia de Havilland. Olivia de Havilland uh, plays Melanie in Gone with the Wind. What's Gone with the Wind, Greg? Um, <laughs> before everyone comes to my show again in London, you've got about 16 movies to watch. <laughs> you've seen Gone with the Wind. Vivian Lee, the British actress, plays a southern lady. See, they were rewriting Southern history as well, except in this version, the South doesn't win the war. And uh, 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 she plays Melanie, Olivia de Havilland. She's still alive, and I believe Joan Fontaine is still alive. Her's her sister. They've got to be in their 90s. This is my impression of Olivia de Havilland doing a tired, resigned smile. Uh, Miss de Havilland, this is Mr. Niven. Hello. <laughs> Shall we? Uh, where's your script, Curtis said. I said, you mean the four pages I was given for the scene? Yes! That is it! Uh, well, I, I was hoping it was true. I, I've learnt it, Mr. Curtis. I, I don't have it with me. I asked you where it is. Well, it's in my dressing room at the other end of the studio. Run and get it! He shouted. My uniform was thick and tight. It was 100 degrees in the shade, and the soundstage was not air-conditioned. Also, after witnessing the efforts of the others, I reckoned I had no choice of getting the part anyway. You fucking well run and get it, I said. (laughs) He said this to Michael Curtiz, who was carrying a fly whisk. His reaction was instantaneous. Dismiss the others. This man gets the part. Fantastic. Uh, Then my other favorite part of the story here. Uh, Let's see. Flynn was a magnificent specimen of the rampant male. Outrageously good looking. He was a great natural athlete who played tennis with Don Budge. No one remembers Don Budge, but he was a great tennis player. And boxed with Mushy Callahan. The extras, among whom I had many old friends, disliked him intensely. They were a rough lot. The toughest of the riders from the westerns. Plus the stuntmen who specialized in galloping falls. Dig. Because it's, it's, it's a horse-bound movie. 
Flynn, they decided, had a swollen head, having made too big a success too soon. They were the 27th Lancers. Flynn was their commander. I was second in command. One day we were lined up on the parade ground of our fort in the San Fernando Valley. Flynn and I were slightly in front of the men. When one of them leaned forward with his lance, rubber tip to cut down accidents, and wriggled it in Flynn's charger's dock. <laughs> right? The animal reared up, and Flynn completed the perfect parabola and landed on his back. 600 very muscular gentlemen roared with laughter. Flynn picked himself up. Which one of you sons of bitches did that? I did, Sonny, said a huge gorilla of a man. Want to make anything of it? Yes, I do. Get off your horse. Nobody could stop it, and the fight lasted a long time. At the end of it, the gorilla lay flat on his back. After that, everyone liked Errol Flynn much more. (laughs) That is a fucking Hollywood story. Now, if you heard a story, it'd be like, Ryan Reynolds called for a smoothie. When the smoothie got there, he said, there's not enough goji berries in that. Get back there this instant and get me more goji berries. Just then, Selena Gomez said, no one kicks an extra's ass anymore for fun. Uh, Here's a couple quotes. Um, tell the truth and, the d- and shame the devil That's Rabelais He wrote Gargantua and Pantagruel uh, Ken MacLeod, the awesome Scottish sci-fi author I don't really believe in the devil But if the devil is the father of lies Then he certainly invented the internet <laughs> Fucking A uh, Here we go uh, We're going to start the boring preachy part First we're going to do Let's yeah, no, we'll start right here um, this is a story about what's been happening in the world this week. Now, we've been watching uh, of the news, and we've been listening, and we've been looking at our phones. Not this crowd, but other people who are informed about shit that happens in the world. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm being a dick. You are not a dick. You are a person, but you're acting like a dick. You're acting like a French fried dick. Um, you know that Brazil's been on fire, uh, that Turkey's been on fire, that there's a giant, horrible, hideous war raging in Syria that no one in the West has any intention of doing anything about at any point because chaos in Syria works to our evil capitalistic ends. And so those people are not going to see relief from us or any of our allies anytime in the near future. For that reason, one. And for two, another reason that uh, our president, Black Jesus, has, which is... <laughs> Starting another war in the Middle East is not a popular move in the United States right now. Uh, So uh, all this is going on all around the world. And uh, 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 this is uh, from the Observer today. Um, uh, Dispatch Fortaleza, Brazil. In the favelas on the front line of protest, Brazilians ask, who is this World Cup for? In a city of glaring inequality, 130,000 live in extreme poverty. A mother sold her baby for 15 quid. And a 150 million pound stadium has been built for next year's tournament. So let's talk about why people riot and why people, as you know, the, the, the riots in Brazil, which I understand are being covered not at all in America, unless you go on the interweb or, or look up the British papers or watch Canadian news or something. My understanding is there's been very little reporting the, of the uh, riots going on in Brazil and America, because as you know, we are a rock, we are an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. And, uh, and we're number one. Why are we number one? Because we fucking told you we were number one. Um, it started because they raised the bus fares. 
and everyone gathered in the square. And then, of course, the government, because governments are scared to death of people hearing the truth and shaming the devil, uh, they started water cannoning and bludgeoning people and shooting tear gas on everyone. Uh, Wednesday night was due to be a celebration in Fortaleza. This northeastern coastal city was the first in Brazil to complete its World Cup stadium in readiness for the 2014 contest. As you know, the World Cup is going to be played for the first time in Brazil. How many times has Brazil won the fucker? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. We've waited till the 21st century to let Brazil host the fucking thing. Uh, have they even ever had it in South America? Did they have it in Uruguay once? You're English. Help me. Did they? Yeah, Mexico in 86. And Italy won that one? Uh, someone went, don't know. Okay, all right. Everyone, everyone's thrown in the fucking towel. I came to the land, Proopcast listeners. I'm reporting now. The sound you hear behind me is the sound of the London Blitz. I've come all the way to London, all the way from America to report to you. And I'm in the place for the birthplace of football, or as you would call it in America, soccer. And yet I'm in a room full of people who have no idea where the World Cup was played or how many times it's been won by various countries. <laughs> Thus putting lied and putting paid to the fact that everyone here is a football fan. Evidently I found a room full of cricketeers. <laughs> uh, I know that England won in 66 and that, and that they, uh, that they uh, beat Germany on a Russian judge's call. That I know. And you've never, ever shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> yes, the Charlton brothers. I get it. Uh, the World Cup is going to be in Brazil in 2014. I went to the one in 2006 in Germany. And I may have mentioned this before. Uh, they were very nice, the Germans. They really were. I think they'd given everyone in Germany a talk before the World Cup came. <laughs> like they'd all got, all right, Germany, everyone gather around. And someone, first, every... Ein. Be polite. And someone, I have a question. What is polite? It's when you're nice to people and they ask a question, show patience. Dwei. Don't fucking yell at anyone. So they were really, really nice. I went to buy some aspen at a, at a pharmacy in Germany. I was in uh, Stuttgart, which means stud garden. So it was like homeland to me. And... I went into the pharmacy and I said, uh, uh, do you have the aspirin with codeine in it? And she's like, yeah. And uh, do you have the fizzy kind? And she goes, there's two kinds. And I'm like, well, I'll have both. And I swear to God, the German pharmacist went like this to me. Maybe one kind is enough for you, eh? <laughs> Look, I know every 30 years you guys get bored and go, I wonder what Poland's doing. I think I can make my own decisions about aspirin. The worst air conditioning I've ever experienced in my life. Not like London where it's shitty. It's nice tonight. But in Germany in 2006, mm -mm, it was horribly hot that year. Really hot. It was like, uh, uh, for our American friends, it was in the high 80s. For our uh, European friends, it was uh, 30. And uh, 28. And uh, it was fucking hot. Let me put it that way. You'd go into your room and it would just be like, oh, 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 no. And the air conditioning was like uh, an inference made by a caterpillar. It was like being told a secret by a lizard. That's how weak the air conditioning was. I don't feel that. Turn it up. It was like a butterfly with its dander raised, you know? Uh, things didn't go work out as planned. After the first tear gas bomb, my brother and I ran with a few others to flee the police, said uh, 
Julia Lopez, which I assume in Portuguese is something different, like Julia Lopez, who was among the 30,000 local people demonstrating before the Brazilian national side's showcase Confederations Cup match against Mexico, where, of course, the World Cup, we have just led, been led to understand, was played in 1986. No one remembers the winner of it. I'm almost certain it was Italy. It was West Germany. <laughs> what? what? Argentina didn't win that one, did they? Argentina won 86 and they beat West Germany. You're right, because my friend Andreas, I remember, he's, oh, that was the worst fucking day of my life. Argentina fucking beat us. That's right. The, the stepfatherland beat the fatherland in that one. Um, Brazil is experiencing something very big and we cannot completely understand it now. During the demonstration, we saw many claims, not only concerning the World Cup, but some that were more political. Some were clear and others vague. People were definitely asking who is this World Cup for? A question that I think was asked in England during your Olympic year, when you had riots the same year they spent millions, hundreds of millions of pounds to put on a giant corporate event that, as you recall, the stadiums weren't even full because the system of ticketing was so shit and they couldn't be bothered to just give tickets to anybody, which they should have fucking done, give tickets to poor children and shit like that, because that's who wants to see the Olympics. Here in Brazil, which I don't think we, we in our, our lofty heights as a first world country have to understand that Brazil is fucking competitive with us now, and that India and China and Brazil are about two fucking weeks away from bitch slapping us and going, fuck you, we don't need your bullshit anymore. These giant corporate events take place and it's Coca-Cola and it's HSBC and all these fucking transgressors who do nothing but destroy the globe and fucking dig up shit and knock down neighborhoods and stuff like that. And then the poor people are supposed to just be happy that they're going to have the fucking World Cup and they can play barefoot in the street with a ball made of rags and stuff like that. We're all supposed to weep fucking gratefully uh, that the banks have decided to do this for us. In Fortaleza... The fifth most unequal city in the world, according to the United Nations. And that's the United Nations, which is run by a group of white people who fucking beat their maids. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, so let's just get straight on what the fucking United Nations is. The protests were led by young and middle class, but the website Comité Popular de Copa e das Olimpiadas, I can't fucking pronounce it, Olimpiadas, made clear its concerns, uh, include those of the poorest. The World Cup, say campaigners has justified the distancing of the poorest to remote areas on the fringes of Fortaleza, causing segregation and social distinction. In other words, they made people fucking move out. You remember the Olympics in China, right, where they knocked down ancient neighborhoods and made people just fucking move and did not give them money for their houses. We're knocking down your house, fuck off, and shut the fuck up, right? You remember what happened in Hackney and shit. I was on TV in Chicago a couple of years ago. And Chicago was bidding for the Olympics. And uh, uh, I was on the morning news on 7 a.m. on ABC. 7 fucking a.m. And, uh, uh, and, and I, I'm in that green room. And uh, it was just before David Carradine died. And you remember David Carradine. He's marvelous in the Kill Bill movies, right? And David Carradine played Kung Fu in the 70s. Well, David Carradine, for your information, was a sociopath. And uh, I went up to him once at a party in Los Angeles, a show business party, right after Kill Bill. And I went, hey, congratulations. And he went, <laughs> and fucking acted like I had just like uh, like crawled across a pizza and like, like dragged my man bag across his sandwich <laughs> so I'm in this ABC green room at 7 in the goddamn morning and this poor PA who works at this TV station goes we had David Carradine in a couple weeks ago and I go really what was that like and he goes first of all he was drinking he was pouring vodka in a Coca-Cola at 6.45am and I said you can't drink in here and he went yeah and then he lit up a cigarette, and I said, you have to go outside to smoke. And he went, fuck them, right? 
And I was like, wow, that's awesome. That is awesome Hollywood acting. David, of course, died, I believe, in a wardrobe in Thailand, committing autoerotic asphyxiation. So he lived a very frisky life. People did not say no to David Carradine. Uh, The the renovation, so in any case, uh, a woman on the news goes, we're bidding for the Olympics in Chicago. And for your information, Chicago is run by a a mayor now named Rahm Emanuel, who was part of Obama's uh, cabinet. His brother, uh, Ari Emanuel, runs an agency, a a, a talent agency in Hollywood. before it was Rahm Emanuel, it was a mayor named Richard Daly. His father, Richard Daly, had led um, the police charge against the 1968 riots in Chicago when America had its civil war and had all the cops busting heads and there was a giant trial over it and there was the Chicago 7. So understand that the politics in Chicago are more corrupt than any other city in the United States. In 1960, when JFK was elected president, every dead person that had ever lived in the city of Chicago voted for JFK. Um, That's where Obama's from. He was an alderman, and then he rose up. He was a state senator, then he was a senator from Chicago. I mean, uh, are you saying that Obama's corrupt and part of a giant Chicago machine, and that's why he sucks ass on all the corporations and appoints people from giant banks to head up all our financial institutions, and that there's no oversight, and that the NSA scandal broke? He said, don't worry about it. We're not tapping your phones. No one's listening to your phone calls. And that somehow I'm skeptical in that regard? Yes, that's what I'm getting at. So the woman says to me, Chicago bid for the Olympics. This is morning news. And you know what morning news is like. Everyone's sitting there. We're here with comedian Greg Poop, who was on the show. Who was on the show What's Live Anyway. Mr. Poop, Chicago's bid for the Olympics. What do you think about the Olympics coming to Chicago? And I went, it's a great way to knock down some poor neighborhoods. And she went... <laughs> it was like the last scene of Schwarzenegger's Total Recall. <laughs> they weren't ready for that fucking answer. I mean, we're talking about Chicago, where there's potholes in the ground because it's winter, then it's summer, then it's winter, and it snows, and then the weather's shitty. And there were giant potholes that caused every car to get a flat tire. And Chicago didn't have the money to pay for the potholes. And so they were going to get Kentucky Fried Chicken to fucking put logos over the pothole. I'm not fucking kidding. That didn't happen. And then, of course, now they're closing all the schools in Chicago and all the inner city black. Let's read what inner city means. Black neighborhoods. And I haven't heard a word from Black Jesus about any of that. Because his little buddy, Rahm Emanuel, runs Chicago. Uh, the renovation of Fortaleza Stadium... Well, let me just read you this hideous part here, and then we'll get to the good part. They're struggling. There's situations and improvement on the days when the whole family lived on the streets. They're talking about social workers here. Um, uh, uh, earlier in the week, a, a woman sold her baby for 50 reals, which is 15 pounds, which is um, $22 American. Um, and they, ch- they rescued this child, so don't freak out over that part. Um, there's poor people everywhere. Outside the home, a third boy, uh, the team hears cries, and inside the young baby swinging in a hammock, left alone. In recent years, 350,000 people have emerged from extreme poverty, classified as living on 70 reals or less a month in the state of Sierra, but hardship is widespread. Um, the renovation of Fortaleza Stadium for the World Cup 
cost 519 million reals, 149 million pounds. That's 190 million dollars. Do you think the 190 million dollars could have gone to better use than building a football stadium? I mean, I'm not being a dick. There's every reason for Brazil to have the World Cup. But when you put it in the middle of a poor neighborhood where we're talking about people selling their babies so they can fucking eat, doesn't it occur to you that this is a shocking turn of events and that maybe corporations don't have our best interests in mind? And when I say our, I mean our. You and I and the people of Fortaleza because we have much more in common than we do with the people who sit on the interlocking boards of directors of these giant multinational corporations that vote for these things that, get, that allot the money for this. We've heard a lot about austerity in our country, in your country, in Greece, in every country. Austerity means austerity for us, not for these giant corporations who seem to have 149 million pounds laying around to build a football stadium in the middle of a fucking ghetto full of barefoot fucking children. For Fortaleza's poor, the World Cup has meant changes, including the forced removal of 5,000 people to areas without schools. Does that sound like they thought this out at any point? Or does it sound like they went, um, Coca-Cola is going to come down and give us like a bajillion dollars and there's going to be a VIP plaza with blowjobs and sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, there you go. There would be no problem in investing in better stadiums and infrastructure to benefit the mega events, a World Cup and Olympics, and they included the Olympics, uh, which you just hosted. The problem starts when one suspects corruptions involved in the way vast amounts of money are spent at the same time there is no investment in education or hospitals. Let me just read that again. This is Bernardo Rosemeyer, the founder of uh, uh, Oversight Committee. The problem starts when one suspects corruption is involved in the way vast amounts of money are spent at the same time as there is no investment in education or hospitals. In my country, Congress says things like, where's that money going to come from to build infrastructure? And then a bridge falls down because there is no fucking infrastructure anymore because most of the money in the world, by the way, uh, something like 58% of the money in the world goes to 8% of the people in the world. And that's why these things happen. When they talk about corruption, what they mean is money gets funneled upstairs to these people and their friends. Who are these people and their friends? White men. I know it should be funny there, but it isn't fucking funny. Uh, but this is the best part. And now I will give you hope after having dashed you against the rocks of despair, <laughs> having taken you on the Atlantic cruise and made you play shuffleboard in the tournament, now we're going to have one of those amazing nights of music. Global protests grow as citizens lose faith in politics in the state. Why are we losing faith in politics in the state? Because we see what's happening with politics in the state. When you see David Cameron get out there with no chin and tell you <laughs> that he's going to look after you, when you see Obama get out there and go, we're not tapping him, blah, 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 blah. When you say Mr. Snowden um, uh, uh, is being uh, prosecuted now by the American government, he's having to take, as of the uh, recording of this uh, proofcast, uh, by the time this airs, it'll be different. He's having to take airlines around the world because we've revoked his passport because what he did was, excuse me, blew a whistle. That means he told the truth about what was going on. But didn't he endanger everyone? What about our safety? The government's looking after us. When was the last time you thought 
And I'm asking you honestly to think about this. Those of you listening out in Proofcast land, those of you sitting here in the room, when was the last time you thought to yourself, man, the government is really looking after my safety and that of my family. (laughs) Has there been a moment in the last, I don't know, 25 fucking years, million years of your life where you went, God, there, you know, that giant hole at the end of my block just got filled and they built a garden. Oh, they put up solar pan. Well, not here in England, but where there's sun. <laughs> it's not fucking happening. And that's why there's infinite amounts of money to spend on war. In the United States, the Defense Department receives every year $600 billion. And we argue over whether there should be health care for everyone. And when the offer's made that there should be health care, people go, it's socialism. You know nothing about socialism if you think that's socialism. Uh, fucking A. Why don't we... Get up, kittens. This part's a bummer. Come on. Hang tough. Why don't we have the same rights as defense contractors? Why don't we have the same rights as giant banking corporations and offshore fucking facilities? Why? Because we don't. That's why. Because the white people who run the fuck... And there's color, people of color as well. And they're mostly men. And there's Angela Merkel. But there's mostly men. Uh, because they don't want it that way. They want us to live in fear of each other. They want us to fear people from Arab countries who are Islamic. That they're some big fucking threat to society. Do you know how many people were killed by Arab terrorists in America in the last million years? Uh, since 9-11? Not so many. you know how many people were killed by handguns since the Newtown massacre uh, last December in the United States? 6,000 people. So, one, fuck, and two, you, okay? I'm sick of hearing it. It's a lie, and I'm sick of fucking hearing it. There is no terrorist threat against us. The people that are threatening us are the people who have all the money because they want you to believe that the poor are the problem and the poor are not the problem. If you gave the poor money, they'd be educated and then they could be part of society and shit like that. Um, This is an article about all the um, protests that have taken place all over the world, including England, um, uh, including Madrid, Istanbul. Uh, Taksim score. you've been following what's happening in Istanbul. Allegations of corruption between the construction industry and the ruling AKP party have been a part of the political discourse in Turkey. A decision to build a shopping mall on one of Istanbul's few remaining parks sparked outrage on 31 May this year, leading protesters of all ages to vent their fury in public against Prime Minister, good luck pronouncing this, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who they claim is increasingly authoritarian. After two weeks of protests, Erdogan lost patience, and riot police used water, cannons, and tear gas to clear the area. Um, smaller protests were uh, also going on in the capital, Ankara, where police used force to break up demonstration. The police are a tool of the government. The government is a tool of the giant corporations that make them call the shots. The protests turned into a silent vigil last week, and you've seen this gentleman on telly. This is for our American friends who have not seen him on telly. Erdem Gunduz, who stood for eight hours in Taksim Square. Gunduz was swiftly dubbed Standing Man, and he inspired similar protests elsewhere in Istanbul. They didn't shoot a water cannon at Mr. Gudum. They did not knock him down with tear gas because they saw that the entire world was fucking watching this fellow stand there quietly. And did it not remind you of Mohandas Gandhi? Did it not remind you of uh, Martin Luther King? Did it not remind you of so many heroes who've stood quietly, nonviolently, 
and the government is afraid to knock them down. That person who put the uh, uh, flower uh, in Tiananmen Square uh, some, uh, in 1990, was it, when that happened? Um, we can win by being human beings because when the giant corporation sees people act like human beings, that's the thing that frightens them more than anything else. If we come with Molotov cocktails and bottles and throw rocks at the cops and shit like that, they go, see, they're fucking uh, 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 rioters and they've come to destroy everything. Oh my God, they're using Facebook to communicate with each other. They, they want to steal stuff from stores and theft is the worst thing that could happen because personal property is more important than anyone. That's a human. But when we act like humans and just stand quietly, they're terrified beyond fucking measure. Believe me, they are. Will it bring down the dominant paradigm? I don't have another solution at this point. <laughs> uh, the Turkish Medical Doctors Association, 7,000 protesters and more than a dozen journalists have been injured since the Gezi Park protests began. Five people have died, several are in critical condition. Was there a reason for anyone to die? Could not the prime minister have gone, okay, I capitulate, let's keep it a park. Would that have been so bad? No, because corporations are calling him every day and going, get the fucking police out there. Uh, Egypt is listed here, obviously. Uh, Sao Paulo, 50,000 protesters gathered last Tuesday in front of the Metropolitan Cathedral in Brazil. Uh, I want to hit this one ever so lightly and then we'll move on. Zuccotti Park in New York City, Occupy Wall Street. A lot of people made fun of me for supporting Occupy uh, and, and everywhere I went, people were like, they're scruffy. <laughs> This is what I wanted to read you about Occupy, who, by the way, in the United States is doing quite a lot. They've been helping out. They helped out during Hurricane Sandy. They're helping out all over the United States, getting people's mortgages uh, salvaged and, and getting people's homes back. You may have heard that Bank of America, the giant international banking corporation, was doing push-button uh, um, loans and giving bonuses to people who were denying people and foreclosing bonuses to people. That happened this week in the United States. So if you don't think banks are fucking against you, they fucking are. Uh, the public park is open 24 hours a day, which gave protesters freedom from curfews of other New York parks. After complaints were made about sanitary conditions, and I'm going to come back to something that I've said on the show before, that's what the, the protest was. Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg, who is the mayor of New York, is a billionaire. He made his money as a fucking investment banker and, in fact, a hedge fund manager. He didn't even use his own money to make the billions of dollars that he made. Now he's Lord God fucking mayor of New York. He knocked down that camp. He, he sprayed all those people with hoses. A lot of people were arrested and had their heads busted in. Not one person who's been, who worked for a bank in America or this country when the shit hit the fan has ever fucking gone to jail. No one at HSBC has gone to jail. That's all I'm saying. We put the protesters in jail and said sanitary conditions. So, if the people who run HSBC had taken a shit in a park, do you think we would have arrested them then and poured a water cannon on them and stuff? It's a site-specific sanitary condition, in my opinion. They're in giant towers where they get to go to executive washrooms. Um, this says here, um, economics editor, the, the point is, um, there's no great global overarching ethos anymore. Marxism is not the um, system we subscribe to because we've seen that it doesn't work in any way. From Marxism comes oligarchies and from oligarchies comes Pussy Riot and from Pussy Riot comes uh, the Russian government putting young women in jail for singing a song in a church. That's what comes from that. For an older generation of political theorists, 
not least those of Marxist background, the current trends have sometimes been puzzling. I remember talking to British Marxist historian Eric Hobsom, a dear friend, and he said, what's up with Occupy? I said, it's a very interesting movement. But his reply was, if there's no party, there's no future. Well, does that sound like George Orwell or fucking what? We are the fucking party. You know what I mean? There is no more Marxist party or any party. The party is those who have not, us, against those who haves, which is the corporations that run the world and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on football stadiums when people are dying and shit like that. Um, about the spying, ever so briefly, and then we'll do obituaries, then we'll do questions, then we'll fuck off. Um, this is John Naughton's column from um, The Observer Today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the NSA spying. And I thought he wrote something that was very apt here. Because last week we talked about Orwell. And Orwell said, the only thing you have for sure is the few centimeters inside your skull. That's the only place you know they're not watching. And now we know that for a fact. It has been, uh, in the last two weeks, the adjective Orwellian has been widely deployed, but Kafka-esque seems more appropriate to the situation in which we find ourselves. The conversation between the state and the citizen has been reduced to a dialogue that the writer would have uh, recognized. It goes like this. State. Although intrusive surveillance does infringe a few liberties, it's necessary if you are to be protected from terrible things. Citizen. What terrible things? State. Can't tell you, I'm afraid. (laughs) But believe us, they're truly terrible. And by the way, surveillance has already prevented some terrible things. Citizen. Such as? State. Sorry. Can't go into detail. (laughs) Can't go into details about those either. Citizen, so how do I know that this surveillance racket isn't just bureaucratic empire building? State, (laughs) you don't need to worry about that because it's all done under legal authority. Citizen, so how does that work? State, regrettably, we can't go into details because if we did so, then the bad guys might get some ideas. What we're witnessing is the metamorphosis of our democracies into national security states in which the prerogatives of securities authorities trump every other consideration and in which critical or skeptical appraisal of them is ruled out of court. In other words, a whistleblower like Mr. Snowden, who, yes, was a functionary with high clearance, who's 29 years old or whatever, is now going to be persecuted with the full extent of the law and prosecuted by the full extent of the law of the American government under an act that was enacted in 1917 when we were supposed to be traitors against the state when Germany was waging war against the world. I want you to know that's the statute he's being prosecuted under. A statute from 1917 when they did not have phones, when they did not have the internet, when they did not have the ability to communicate and, and, and um, monitor every single email, text, and phone call that you make, which is what they are doing. The word data mining is a euphemism. It means spying on every moment of your fucking life because they know we're all on the phone now, right? <clears throat> In the UK, for example... We've watched, cock, I can't read my own writing, Uh, GCHQ, the organization that emerged from the huts of Bletchley Park, trailing clouds of enigma glory, swell into a gigantic bureaucracy whose remit includes cybercrime and cyber espionage and now eavesdropping on its own citizens. In the world of organizational politics, there is a term for this, mission creep. And with it comes the kind of swaggering hubris. Hubris means pride and arrogance in the face of the gods. And when I say gods, I mean she who made the universe. (laughs) 
Implicit in the name chosen for the cable tapping project, mastering the internet. Says it all, really. Here's our obituaries. In the stars tonight is a reporter who is a muckraking journalist in the United States. You may have heard about this case. You may have not. In the United States, I don't know. This happened in the neighborhood where I live in Los Angeles. You may remember a year ago or two years ago, Obama has promised since he was elected in 2008 to withdraw all the troops from Afghanistan. They are gradually being withdrawn. He did um, honor his promise and remove most of the troops from Iraq. There is still a skeletal force. The British troops are gone. Iraq, as, as you know, a shitstorm still full of fucking furor and civil war and bombings every weekend, and no peace was made after that gigantic war we waged for years and years, the one that your PM, Tony Blair, urged us. I was staying down the street at the Groucho. I remember watching it on telly that morning in 2003. We must pay the blood price to remove Saddam Hussein. Now we have paid the blood price. There are a million dead Iraqis. There are tens of thousands of wounded and dead British, American, and all other uh, members of that coalition, soldiers, and there is no peace. Uh, Michael Hastings was his name several years ago. He did an article in Rolling Stone magazine about General McChrystal, where McChrystal said he mentioned Joe Biden, and one of his aides went, you mean Joe bite me? And they made fun of Obama. And Obama, eventually, it was revealed in the face of this article, that the Department of Defense was making all the, calling all the shots in Afghanistan and that diplomatic uh, avenues were not being pursued. You may have read the other day, Karzai, uh, 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 the UNICAL employee of the year, who we installed as uh, uh, leader of, Af- thank you, of Afghanistan, um, refused to meet with the American diplomats. So... The Defense Department was making all the calls there. That was all revealed in this article. General McChrystal was removed from his post. Subsequent to that, and you may have heard about this, General Petraeus, who was also head of our uh, forces in the Middle East, who became head of the CIA, had to resign under a cloud. These are the people the giant corporations and the government have made in charge of these things. And they are wildly egocentric, egoistic, if you will. And in the end, Wrong and incompetent about all the calls they make. And yet the billions of dollars, the 600 billions of dollars that go into this don't get funneled anywhere else. And we have to hear about, oh, we got to tighten our belts. Uh, In any case, his name was Michael Hastings. And he died in a, what they're referring to in the media as a high-speed wreck. He wrote the article about General McChrystal. I'm going to hip you to where you can read about him. You go to a, a site called BuzzFeed. His latest article was from two weeks ago. And it's called, Why Democrats Love to Spy on Americans. He died in a high-speed car crash. I'm not going to go conspiracy theory on your ass. I'm not going to wildly speculate over this. He was 33 years old. The accident took place at an intersection called Highland and Melrose in Los Angeles, which I live quite near. There are two filling stations, a restaurant, and an oil change place, because L.A. is like the Garden of Eden. (laughs) If you go to L.A., someone will say to you, let's go to this awesome restaurant, and you'll look and you'll go, there's a Supercuts, a gas station, and a fucking pawn shop, and and a horrible shit thing, and then a gourmet restaurant in the middle of it. That's how we play in L.A. He ran into a palm tree at 4.15 a.m., He's 33 years old. His car exploded and the transmission flew across the street. You can see flaming video of what happened to Mr. Michael Hastings. He he was in Baghdad uh, in 2007 with his fiancée. His fiancée was blown up in Baghdad and he wrote a book about it. Uh, Subsequent to that, he he died uh, this week. Uh, His new article uh, you can find um, 
Uh, like I say, on BuzzFeed, if you go to uh, that, it's called Why Democrats Love to Spy on Americans. I'm not inferring anything. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm saying that at 4.15 a.m., when there's no one on the street and no witnesses, it's very difficult to run into a palm tree so far and so fast in your Mercedes that your car explodes and the transmission flies across the street. So understand that. Having said that, let's take a few questions and then we'll go. (laughs) Does anyone want to ask a question now? I promise it'll be funny at the end. Uh, Ariana, you got the mic? I didn't want to bum everyone out to the end of time, but I kind of felt like, in a way, we need to be on the same page about this. When reporters are dying and uh, people are protesting all over the world, you can see what I'm getting at on this. Governments and media outlets that are run by governments, who are run by giant corporations, are scared to death that the truth will come out at any point, right? The truth is what they're afraid of, and the truth is what we're trying to get out here. Do I know the truth? Fuck no. I'm a fucking comedian, you guys, and I'm a drunk comedian. (laughs) There's no reason you should believe me over anyone else. And if you're listening right now and going, I don't believe you at all, good for you. Seek alternative sources. Just promise me this, that you won't go back and rely on the stupid, bullshit, mainstream dogma that we're spoon-fed every fucking day because there's no truth in there at all. What am I talking about? Yeah, fucking A. I'm talking about anything that appears on television. And I mean anything that appears on television that's presented as news. Fucking A. Uh, The BBC, the ABC, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Any questions? Hello. Please lighten up the mood. What's your name, sir? It's Julian. Hi, Julian. How are you, babe? Not too bad. For a Sunday, pretty pretty Yeah, fucking A. I'll let you guys go because I know you got trains and tubes to catch. Oh, fuck it. It's good. I'm enjoying being with you, man. It's fine. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Julian. No, here's the thing, right? Um, I absolutely adore all of your proof crafts. Like, thank you. I, from everybody here, I presume, thank you for doing all of them. Oh, very kind of you. <laughs> Don't feed his ego. It just and makes him more of an asshole. He's Julian Assange without the hideout. Yeah. That's all or the technology. Here's the thing, right? I love all of your proof crafts, but, like, every time we get to your boring, preachy part, as much as I fucking love it... I always feel like really down because like you kind of like are basically saying like every, all of us are fucked which is awesome which is awesome because I love the way you do all of it but what I would wonder is like if we kind of managed to have some sort of coup and made you president of the world <laughs> we could do it I'm sure we could all do it if we work together we can make you like president of the world I was just wondering like what you would do maybe just on your first day or in general like what would you do kind of help us because we're all kind abortion, of abortion free and on demand <laughs> Uh, healthcare for everyone. I would strip the defense departments of all their money and make them... Uh, 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 they, they, they would have enough to be whatever we require to fucking have... Um, blah, 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 blah. Because they're always, oh, well, we have to defend our country and we have... What if, what if people invade us and shit? No one's fucking invading anyone. Maybe you've noticed no one has any fucking money anywhere around the world. Um, I think that a lot of the money that's spent wasted on, on things... By the way, food is wasted more than anything else in the world. Food just fucking goes everywhere all the time. That's something we could concentrate on. Instead of just mass consumerism every second of the fucking day. But aren't you rich, Greg? Not really. I, I, I mean, let me put it this way. I've said it before on the show, and I don't mean to be a dickwad about it. My mother was a waitress, and my father was a bartender. I come from a lower-middle-class, blue-collar family. But you act all fancy and use big words and wear a suit and shit like that. As I've said on the show, I aspire to, because I feel entitled to that. Because we were shown that, and that's what we're supposed to have. 
abortion free and on demand, equal rights for women, legislation that says women and children will receive safety and protection under the law, and then law enforcement that actually enforces that. I would go through all the courts in the world and remove all of the fucking judges who are living in the 19th century. And uh, I would take all the money that's wasted. But, uh, first of all, I would tax the corporations desperately. And I don't care if they all fucking move to Botswana. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I don't care if they all move to Antarctica and force the penguins into bondage. Corporations have to pay their fair share. I would make the rule of law the rule of law. When a giant corporation deals drugs and deals guns and deals money, they have to be dealt with summarily and given punitive fines that hurt them. Corporations that fuck people over, like British Petroleum in the United States when they spilled all the oil in the Gulf uh, near New Orleans, they should no longer be allowed to conduct business in the United States and find and go to court. That would be the first thing I would do. Um, and, and then like that. Then there would be medical marijuana dispensaries everywhere. I would also make education and healthcare the main priority for everyone. I think that young people get fucked over more than anyone else in the world. When we're talking about the poor, the poor are women and children. That's what the fucking poor are. When you saw that factory get blown up in Bangladesh, the seven-story factory and all the thousands of people die, who are they pulling out of the rubble there? Women. And young women, that's who they're pulling out of the fucking rubble because that's who gets hurt by everything. I would remove the Silvio Berlusconi's, the David Cameron's, the Barack Obama's, the Stephen Harper's, the whoever you can fucking think of that run the goddamn world and make them go to these places and have a fucking look at what's going on. Not that there's not nice people in the world. There's, there, there are beautiful rich people who try to help the world. But I really think the redistribution of wealth and I'm serious about this, uh, it is the most important thing that could happen. When we have the Olympics, does there have to be giant corporate stands and VIP boxes and Coca-Cola presents and an enormous world opening ceremony and shit like that? No. You could have the Olympics in schoolyards and colleges and universities and regular places where stadiums already exist and just have people go to those facilities. Does there have to be security every second of the day where we're uh, uh, sent through metal detectors and made to take our shoes off and show our ID a million fucking times? No, there doesn't. But what about the terrorists and the regular things? It's not going to fucking happen. Maybe I'm an anarchist. Uh, maybe I'm a shitty anarchist with no fucking real plan. But I trust people more than I trust things. And I trust people more than I trust corporations. And I don't want you to make me leader of anything. I want to remain a stone drunk comedian who hectors from the sidelines. If humanity goes to shit in a handbasket, I want to be making jokes about it when it happens. But I believe uh, that people who are young now are going to save the world. I really do believe that. That sounds naive, Greg. But remember, young people didn't grow up with the same bullshit. I'm 53. If you're 23, you have a completely different set of values. You have a completely different set of, of, uh, of experiences. You didn't grow up without computers. You didn't grow up watching telly and reading. This is called paper. Um, <laughs> and you can make things different. You don't believe that queers are subhuman. You don't believe that women shouldn't be protected. You don't believe a lot of different things that my crappy generation still holds true, that the shitty fucking generation that went before us fucking imbued in us and shit like that. We're getting over the World War II generation. We're devolving from the boomer generation. And I believe that the generation now is going to make everything good. I'm hoping. I won't live to see it, 
But God damn it, I hope there's a giant purple hula hoop around the world and not a fucking space station with weapons in it uh, in 30 years' time. Does that make any sense? It does. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Jillian. And by the way, please never stop being who you are because I fucking adore you for amazing Thank you. Thank we you. can save the world. We can save the world. And by the way, I will vote for you. Ah. Even if you don't want it, even if you don't, I will vote for you. I'm sure everyone else will. Thank, Thank you. you, brother. One more question, then we'll fuck off. Perhaps a funny one. Hi, I, it's gotten very preachy tonight. I, I, I can't help myself. I'm, I'm imbued by the spirit of the kitten. Yes, my darling. What's your name? Hello, my name is Gisella. What was your name? Gisella. I love that. Oh, thanks. How's that spelled? Uh, J E Z. No, no, no. How's it really spelled? <laughs> J E uh, Z E double L A. Oh, Gisella. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I have a gift. When you're roaming through the Serengeti, <laughs> do Maasai warriors ever try to drink your blood mixed with milk? Uh, sometimes. Yeah. Well, I thought as much. <laughs> um, yes, I, Gisella. I arrived a little bit late, and I wanted to give you this present. Oh, let me start the show again. Okay. <laughs> we go out all over the world, and I get a thing from Liberated Syndication, which is neither. No. What? Yes, my darling. What are you giving me? Can I pass it? Oh, to yes, you of course. You can open it. But I was going to say, could you review it in the voice of um, Gregory Peck? Is that? What am I reviewing? <laughs> Uh, a lollipop oh. uh, made with vodka and sugar. We love your show and you are. Thank you. Enjoy this vodka flavored lollipop. And I thank you, Kitchen. Thank you so much for That's this, Gisela. Okay. It's very sweet of you. Now, how do I know it's made of vodka and sugar and it doesn't have like mad ecstasy in it and shit like that? Because <laughs> I trust you. Mmm. It tastes mostly of sugar. <laughs> what is it, Dad? Scout, come here. I'd like to talk to you about something. <laughs> Now, you're too young to drink at this point. Although one day, you'll be old enough to drink. Now I'd like to switch to Jeremy Irons. This lollipop reminds me of a trip I took to Ireland. 1974. I don't remember her name. I think it was... It wasn't Gisella. Fiona, that's what it was. Fiona. <laughs> Fiona. First of all, she was salty. Second of all, she tasted like vodka and sugar. She was like a Christmas ornament. I, I put her on top of my bonnet. I'm going to bite this. Oh my God, my filling. This lollipop is like a trip to Oz. And I don't mean Australia. I mean, you're out of the woods, you're out of the dock, you're out of the lie. Step into the sun, step into the lie. I'm choking on this lollipop. My God, won't someone help me? I'm choking on this lollipop. Not until you renege what you said about gay marriage and women going to see Jimmy Savile. All right, I'm sorry. This has been the smartest man in the world, Proofcast. You have been the smartest child in the world. My name is Doug Proofs. I love you beyond measure. Good night. Every page you turn me a satchel page. And I want to tell you, my mother is swirling in the heavens tonight. I love you, mother. Good night.